Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spirituality and Magic Podcast. I'm joined with Joshua. Thank hey. you for joining me, Joshua. Hey, folks. How's it going? And uh, today we're going to be talking about old the Old Testament from the Bible and gods. So what is your uh, what is your first question, Josh? Question one. Was there magic practice among those in Old Testament times, even among the Israelis? Yes. Yeah, so... Um, so Israel was always more of an idea before, you know, nineteen around nineteen forty. Um, but um there there was there was actually a lot of magic. It, it definitely was more towards the Kabbalistic side, which is how God works, how God manifests things in this world and what beings work for God and do what. Um the all all the magic is very specific in a lot of uh, Kabbalistic books and actually is magic that you can access by reciting certain prayers and words um, in either in either an order, or or you can actually fashion them into various um, various you could say mantras to manifest various things for yourself, for your community, or in in reality itself. So there definitely was a lot of magic, but it had to do with how God manifests things rather than how the individual necessarily manifests things. So it's 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 definitely about divine manifestation rather than individual manifestation. Question two, what kind of blood sacrifices did these Israelites make to God? What is the significance of the goat? Okay, so it, it reminds me of the, the story of Cain and Abel where, um, well, Abel, Abel wanted to make the proper sacrifice, which was a sacrifice of the goat or the blood of the goat. Uh, and and Cain wanted to make a sacrifice of of wheat and uh, produce, basically. So the reason why the sacrifice of the goat was better in the eye of God was because it was a sacrifice of one. It was a, in the Bible. It's a symbol for the sacrifice of one's bestial nature rather than one's timid nature. So sacrificing a goat was directly, uh, as far as symbolism goes. Um, was offering that part of yourself that doesn't need to be there to begin with and uh, maintaining your peaceful self. Um, and offering of grain and things like that was offering the peaceful side of yourself, so that wasn't accepted by God. And um, uh, that non-exception is what uh, I, you could say drove Cain to kill his brother, but really he was just angry that he couldn't offer whatever. It was more he had. Uh, it was more like the internal offering. He didn't make the internal offering of uh, of his bestial nature. Um, but goats as well uh, have to do with um, this. Might go into another question that we had. Um, uh, goats were considered. You know, the Israelites would sacrifice one goat uh, to God, and then they'd send another goat out into the desert for Azazel to appease Azazel. So Azazel was at least a powerful demon king, if not what the Israelites considered another god. So that's the um, so the animal nature being sacrificed to God, and then also the animal nature being sent out into the desert or the wilderness away from society, so that it wouldn't the bestial nature would not inflict society. Uh, in fact, they they it talks about um, the Israelites talked about sending a goat out into the wilderness, um, leaving that might is right kind of mentality to where it belongs, which it doesn't belong in the city or among humans. It belongs in the jungle or the, or the wastelands or the desert or the wilderness. Anyway, what's the next question? The third question, what gods and goddesses existed in Old Testament times, which were most worshipped or revered? Um, there's a lot of gods and goddesses of fertility, um, the, the, the one that's always held up as an example of a God around the time of, uh, you know, 
<laughs> the early Israelites is a, a Moloch. Uh, Moloch was a Moloch basically was this god which had more of a nature of what you would call a demon king, who allowed people's uh, harvests and crops to flourish. But what he required was um, was basically the sacrifice of, of infants. And there was this one tribe that worshipped Moloch um, that it, the, the statue they made of Moloch was very big. I think it was made of copper or brass. And then they would put different sacrifices in five different compartments. And a, a few, like all the compartments except for one were basic things like grain or or various things that didn't involve the human body, but then the last, the last um, compartment of the statue would be like this, uh, this, this boiling, f- kind of like oil fire, uh, I think, uh, this is fire regardless, and where they would put infants in. Um, now that's, it's one of the gods that the Israelites had contact with because of the cultures that worshipped him. Um, He's definitely fallen out of favor, even with people who worship uh, demons at this point. But uh, there were gods very there was fertility gods similar to that that didn't require human sacrifice. But it's all very nature based gods. And does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay, what's the next one? Question four: What were the various dietary requirements of some of the faiths back then, and for what reasons? Um, so like, uh, as far as recorded history goes. Uh, besides, you know, before the Great Flood and Noah and his Ark, um, after that, it seems like most people in around the Middle East and um, definitely around the area of Jerusalem um, ate a lot of meat um, because they they heard it a lot. They didn't. Uh, there was there's not a there's not as much arable land or, around Jerusalem as there as there is in other places. So this is why in the Far East, we get a lot of people who've been farming rice for generations and gen- generations, whereas around Jerusalem, yeah, there's some land, uh, but there's also a big influx of um, herding, uh, meat from herded animals. So uh, the diet around that area was much more meat-based than in ancient Rome or ancient Greece, uh, to use two examples. But anyway, what's the next question? Question five, why didn't Thanos just manifest food? <laughs> Why didn't Thanos just manifest food? I love this question. Um, so I feel like Thanos in the Marvel tr- in the Marvel movies, he's really focused. Uh, the trauma of what happened to his planet guides him in a in an emotional way and doesn't guide him in a uh, a logical way because you can just turn inert planets and masses into food even if you don't create new material. Um, so I I've, actually he's a really good example for people who are guided by the emotional trauma of their past rather than the the logical um, outcome of their efforts. So he's actually a really good example for, um, for people like that. Anyway, uh, what's the next one? What is the significance of the golden calf? Why was the golden calf worshipped? So not long after the uh, Israelites um, left Egypt, um, they, they wanted more food... And I think they wanted more water, but I'm not sure about the water part. So they actually made an idol, made a a bull made out of gold. And they started worshiping this bull. And then Moses, you know, he came over. He's like, what are you doing? Stop that. We we can't make idols and worship gods uh, that aren't that aren't Yahweh. Um, you know, what are y'all doing? Why are you doing this? And this is really a this is re- for the Israelites doing the bull thing. It's it's really a holdover from 
paganism that uh, we we truly realize how far back paganism goes when uh, we see that bull example, which a lot of Christians don't really understand nowadays because it's it's really confusing. Why would you create a golden bull in order to worship in order to worship uh, to get food? Couldn't you just ask God? But back then, they were coming out of a lot of pagan beliefs. And in the Old Testament, it does have a lot of magic and even certain aspects of paganism. So that's, that's something that we have to understand where we're going into um, trying to look back at why they created a golden bull. Does that make sense? It does make a lot of sense. Um, question seven. What was taking place in Iceland and the rest of the Norse territories during the Old Testament times? And what spiritual awakenings occurred if we are aware of them? Oof, there's not a whole lot of historical... Well, actually, there's no historical evidence, in fact, that far back in the Norse areas in Northern Europe. Um, but there is there is a general idea that the gods that the Norse worshipped, um, they were very much conscious of themselves coming out of a giant or, Yot- or Jotun uh, frame of consciousness. Um, just like with the Greeks, where they defeated the Titans, the Greek gods defeated the Titans... The Norse gods um, defeated the um, you know the giants uh, uh, that were chaotic and which were the source of manifestation. Um, they they defeated they defeated those those beings in a very similar way in both uh, Greece and Northern Europe. Um, really, the only thing that we can get as far as like going that far back would be that people were more chaotic and then they were transferring into a belief system that was more ordered. Um, but really we just don't have it. We just don't have a lot of evidence to be honest. So, um, you know, in Northern Europe, unfortunately they didn't write things down as much as they did in Southern Europe and uh, Asia. So really a lot of what we have is due to speculation, um, correct or not. So all I can do is really speculate. At any rate, what's the next one? Next question. Um, in what place spiritually was the East in Old Testament times? Um, really anywhere east of the area of Jerusalem. Um, I know that Jerusalem wasn't like a country back then, like as we think of it now. But anything east of that was considered the East. You know, the Persian Empire, India, China, um, and even Mongolia. But there's very little knowledge about that. Um just really, just really everything east of the so-called, you know, Middle East holy area um, that uh, that a lot of people followed very similar Abrahamic beliefs in. So yeah, yeah, the the east, uh, India has the longest um, sustained um, religious tradition that is Hinduism. You could, well, it's more of a spiritual tradition because there's no actual dogma or guideline or guidelines like you have to believe this. Um, so the, the oldest continuous religion or spiritual system is Hinduism. So it, we actually have records going back way, uh, way before even, you know, uh, Jesus Christ. So thousands of years BC, we actually have records going back because I wrote down a lot of stuff even back then. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's do, uh, one more question before I go into my spiel. Last question. What did Christ teachings do in retrospect of the old Testament backdrop of existence? So, Christ definitely came at a time where there was more focus on ritual than the ritual. The rituals being significant, um, for instance, like goats were being um, sold and in, in, even in within temples, um, and they were sold by people who were trying to make a profit. That's why Christ threw out the money changers in the temple, because that was um, 
That was uh, not only are you. It wasn't really that animal sacrifice was necessarily bad as much as, as it was that people were trying to make money in the temple and not just cut even when they were selling these selling these sacrificial um, uh, goats. So that that was a uh, that was Jesus that was Jesus's um, uh, criticism of the temples, what we would now call synagogues, um, and Jesus also. He, you know, you got to realize that at, at the time when Jesus came, there wasn't a whole lot of belief about afterlife among Jews. There wasn't a solid or coherent message as far as what's going to happen after you die. So there was his message, his message of grace and a heaven beyond um, was very revolutionary at the time, though people didn't took a lot of took many <laughs> a few centuries to really let that sink in. Um, but he definitely came at a time where salvation was not an understanding in Judaism where um, there was no separation between making profits and um, sacrificing to God and where every individual felt like they had to be a part of a religious institution in order to do anything uh, spiritual or religious rather than one-on-one. And a lot of the, a lot of the things that Christ, um, talked about in relation to his own life was meant to be a, a plan, a model for our own lives as far as getting close to the Heavenly Father. So uh, Christ, the a very significant part of, of why he was an avatar and was who he was, was to show that we can relate to God personally and it doesn't have to be through these corrupt religious systems. And we're still struggling with that nowadays, even you know Christianity... Uh, is not at its best manifestation, just like with most uh, spiritual and uh, religious systems. Um, there, there's work to be done, and there's things to emulate, even from Christ, that have not been completely emulated quite yet. Um, so at this point, Josh, uh, with instead of asking any other questions, how do you have any reflections as far as like uh, as far as questions that we have uh, we have planned out? Do you have any uh, reflections as far as um, maybe Christ and his, his significance to you or different gods? I just feel a large part that like Christ set the example of how to be a human human. Mm-hmm. Like to, lo- the- to love each other and to, be ha- to have compassion for one another and trying to lift each other up. That's, that'd be the most I have to say. That makes sense. Uh, definitely a role model that is, um, needs to be perpetuated more. Um, just think if even going back to the commandments, think if, um, thou shalt not kill, if everybody followed that, then we wouldn't have any wars. Um, this, that could be a, a, an idea, a blueprint coming from the past that perhaps we'll reach sometime in human future. But, uh, thank you very much, Josh, for asking these questions and look and, and, uh, really writing them down. Thank you, Hunter. Yep. And, uh, I hope to hear from all of you in the future.